All right. Look around. Isn't this awesome? This is great. This is great. My name is Stephen. I'm the young adult pastor here. And if this is your first young adult service, welcome. We're really glad you checked it out on a Saturday night, man. That's, that's commitment. You're here worshiping Jesus, meeting other people, ready for your life to be changed. And I honor you for that. God's going to meet you because of that. Well, let's take a moment. Let's pray. And then we'll dive into the word today. God, we thank you that you are God of rest. Lord, that is, that is really reassuring, Lord, because we need rest, and you can provide that rest. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come in this moment, that you would refill each one of us, God, that we would leave here strengthened, we leave here encouraged, we leave here full of rest, Lord, knowing how to rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, Dr. Susan Coven practices internal medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital. And in 2013, in a Boston Globe column, she had this to, to write. She said, in the past few years, I've observed an epidemic of sorts, patient after patient suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-rays diagnostic of this condition, and yet it's easy to recognize the condition is excessive busyness. So there's a doctor's perspective, but look at your phone for a second. I mean, that is an example of how busy our lives have become. New and improved products are being introduced every day, making the old ones obsolete. obsolete. How many of you guys have an iPhone 4? Yeah, probably not. There's this constant, never-ending cycle of production and consumption. Production and consumption. And that leaves us as consumers always busy trying to keep up. And as a youth pastor, I saw this in things even like leisure activities. I'd have students come up to me and parents and say, my little Johnny, he hasn't been able to come to youth group. He's got a basketball tournament. But that basketball season is now year-round, and those tournaments are now every weekend. Even things that are supposed to replenish us, refresh us, like basketball, like sports, have become a source of our busyness. And this is not just a cultural thing. This is a thing that exists in the church. Sundays used to be like a Sabbath, a time of rest, but now we fill our Sabbaths with moments to catch up on our emails, take down that ever-increasing pile of laundry, catching up on, if you're in grad school or doing a side job, Sundays now have become just as busy as any other day. And for those in ministry like myself, who you'd expect to have a, a pretty good grasp on like a balanced, healthy lifestyle, in the USA, 1,500 people a month in pastoral ministry quit due to burnout conflict or moral failure. Here's a story by a guy named Dennis who, this was in his book, so I don't think he'd mind me sharing it, or he put, wouldn't put it in his book. But he says, I was preaching one Wednesday night when in the middle of the sermon, I packed up my notes and walked off the stage with no explanation to the congregation. I had just had it, and I wasn't going to take it anymore. I drove home thinking, I'm not going back. I'm finished with ministry. In fact, I may even be finished with church. By the time I got home, I couldn't stop crying. 
I shut myself in our bedroom and didn't leave the room for three days. My wife came in and prayed, but I knew I was done with ministry. And while this story might seem a little extreme, it's really not that uncommon. The truth is both in our culture and in the church, we're over busy. And as a result, we're tired, we're anxious, we're depressed, and we're wondering if there's a better way. Is there a better way than this? If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. If you, maybe you're new to Christianity or you're not a believer, maybe this is your first time here tonight, you didn't bring a Bible, you can actually Google Hebrews 4, dot, dot, 1 through 11, or you can use the Uversion app. It's an app with a, a Bible. There's also a... Um, I guess that's probably the the best way to do it or bring your own Bible here. But Hebrews chapter 4, 1 through 11, this is what it says. Therefore, while, and I'm reading from what's called the ESV version. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Verse 5. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This letter, Hebrews, was written around 60 to 70 AD. And we don't know who the author of this letter was, but the author wrote to a group of Christians who were persecuted, who were experiencing a trial. And he's writing to encourage them to persevere. And in this particular passage, the author is going to give us two things to do to rest. They're in verse 1 and verse 11, the very beginning of the passage, the very end of the passage. And in between is his reason for why we should do these two things. So we'll look at those two commands, verse 1 and verse 11, at the very end. But first, let's look at his argument. First, he's going to start with a history lesson. Look at verse 2. He's going to tell a story about a people who missed a giant opportunity to rest. Who is this people? These are the Israelites. This is a group, a nation around 1400 BC who were forced into busyness by Egypt. We choose busyness, but this group of people were forced into business. During that time, you had this empire, Egypt, that was the most powerful empire, and their leader, Pharaoh, was the most powerful man on the face of the planet. And it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 11, that they, the Egyptians, set taskmasters over them, the Israelites, to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. 
Pharaoh was on a mission to accomplish as much as he possibly could, as much power, as much fame, as much wealth as he could. And because of that, he had this endless need of storage for his wealth. He wanted these cities to be built so that he could keep accumulating wealth and store that wealth so he could again advance. And so it was this never-ending cycle of production and consumption, production and consumption. His rhetoric is more work, no rest, more production, all on the back of the Israelite slaves. The Israelites are just cogs in Pharaoh's wheels. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they have these multiple gods. In fact, they had probably more gods than any nation during that time. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Moses delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt. Each one of those 10 plagues was an attack against one of 10 Egyptian gods or all the Egyptian gods. They had a god of the Nile River. They had a god of fertility. They had a god of the earth. They had a god of the sun, just to name a few. But here's the irony, is that because Pharaoh had this never-ending demand for work, Pharaoh's gods are constantly at work. He needs his gods to keep up with his, his demand for more work. There's no time for these gods to rest because the people are depending on these gods to provide the favorable conditions that Pharaoh needs to build and to construct and to produce and to consume. And in stark contrast to Pharaoh and his gods is the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Israelites. It says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, God looks at his people who are suffering as slaves, who are enduring this never-ending cycle of busyness that they themselves didn't choose, they were, that was forced upon them. And it says that God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob because God is altogether different than these gods of the Egyptians. He raises up a deliverer, Moses, and calls out the people miraculously with these 10 plagues out of this place of slavery and into freedom. They're wandering in the wilderness away from Pharaoh and, and Egypt after God miraculously delivered them, and he gives them the law. He gives them 10 commandments because they, knew it, they need a new way to live. Everything that they've known in their years of slavery is now obsolete, and they need a new way to figure out how to do life, how to just be normal. God gives 10 commandments. And notice the longest commandment, the one commandment that God devotes the most length to in explaining is the fourth commandment about rest. This is what he says, Exodus 20, verse 8. This is the fourth commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, that's the part we remember, but it goes on. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. What God is introducing himself to the Israelites as is the God of rest. What he's communicating is that this people, his people, are not simply worker bees. They're not beings that were created to be his slaves. What he's saying to them is that you, Israelites, you mean more to me than what you can produce. 
you are my sons and daughters. And then he promises them the fulfillment of a promise that he made long ago to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He promises them a promised land, a place of rest, a place where they can rest from Pharaoh's never-ending cycle of consumption and production, a place where they can rest from wandering in the wilderness, a place where they can raise their families. And here's the great tragedy of the story and what the author of Hebrews is pointing to, is that despite this offer and this loving God who offered rest, the Israelites missed it. They missed the rest that God afforded to them. Why? Look again at verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. They didn't enter into the rest for one reason, for unbelief. There were 10 times that you can track through Exodus chapter 14, through Numbers 14, two books of the Bible. There were 10 times that the Israelites tested God. They didn't believe him. Despite the miracles that he did to bring them out of Egypt, despite the fact that he had separated the Red Sea, they complained and didn't believe him for water, for food. They made a golden calf. They didn't believe him about the promised land. Even when they saw it with their own eyes, they believed a report that the people inhabiting the land were too big for them. What's the point? Look at verse 3. This is what the author of Hebrews says. For we, have believed, we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What this author is trying to communicate is that rest is a faith issue. We think of rest as a scheduling issue. We think of it as a problem with us balancing our priorities. We think of it as a job issue. When I get a better job or a less taxing job, I'll be able to rest. We think of it as a commute issue. We think of it as a relationship issue. But it's a faith issue. We who have believed enter that rest. He's quoting a line from Psalm chapter 95, verse 11, to prove his point. We know that rest comes from faith because the Israelites did not have faith and did not enter into that rest. The irony is they missed rest even though there was no work left to be done. Like it's one thing to be busy and not rest, like there's a lot of stuff that you have to do, but the Israelites, there was nothing for them left to do. Look at verse, thir- th- uh, verse three at the end. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. See, the author of Hebrews is going back to the very beginning of creation, to the creation story of how God created the world. And he says, in six days, God created the world. The seventh day, he rested. God created the world, and then he rested because there was nothing left for him to do. He didn't get tired. He wasn't fatigued. He rested because he had created everything. That was all that there was to do. And the point is that the well-being of creation is not dependent on human beings working. On that seventh day, the sun came up, the moon was up, the animals were moving around, Adam and Eve were breathing, and Adam hadn't done any work. God is the one who sustains this universe. And you and I live in a world where we feel like we're responsible to keep our world spinning. When the reality is, 
we are creatures of dust. Adam was created from dust. And Psalm chapter 103, verse 14 says, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. If you've ever seen somebody who's very healthy, then all of a sudden they get sick, and then within three weeks, they die. You see the fragile, the frailty of human beings. That someone can be 6'6 and jacked and strong and powerful, and then all of a sudden, in a moment, all of that vanishes because we are fragile creatures. We're made from dust. We'll return to dust, our physical bodies. And yet we live as if we're superhuman. God was providing an example to the human race by resting on that seventh day and inviting us to join him in that rest. He gave Adam a command to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to help God steward the earth, to rule with God. And yet, on the very first day that Adam had, the very first full day that he had in his, in his existence, after being given this huge command to have dominion, do you know what he does? What God has him do? Rest. The very first day, he rests. He wakes up. He's ready. He's ready to go do what God has commanded him. He's got the whole earth to steward over, to name the animals. And God says, no, 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 hold on. This day, this first day, we're going to rest. See, we are called to live from that place of rest. God has completed all the work in creation and invited mankind to enjoy rest with him. But because of Adam's fall, that rest was forfeited. And then God gave another opportunity for the Israelites to enter into that rest. But because of their unbelief, they didn't enter into it either. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, guys, don't, let's not make that same mistake. And this part's a little bit challenging. If you look at verses five through seven, it's a little bit hard to follow, but it says, again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. If you notice in your Bible, there are some lines that are offset from the others. The line, they shall not enter my rest, and the line, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And that's to indicate that the author is referencing a passage in Scripture. He's referencing a passage in 1000 BC, many years after the Israelites. And he's referencing something that King David wrote in Psalm chapter 95, where King David encourages the people to remember what the Israelites did, the rest that they did not enter into, and to not make the same mistake. He says in Psalm chapter 95, today if you hear his voice, he goes on to say, therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So here's the author of Hebrews making two points. Because there'd be a group of people who saw the Israelites not enter that rest and would think, you know what, Moses and his generation they didn't enter the rest. They didn't go in the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb, the second generation, they did. So maybe the Israelites did enter that rest. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, no, 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 they didn't. Because 
If they did, David wouldn't say thousands of years later that they didn't make it. And others might say, well, maybe if Adam didn't enter that rest because he sinned, and maybe if the Israelites didn't enter because of their unbelief, then there is no rest for us today. And the author of Hebrews says, no, no, no. Look at Psalm 95. David says, today, if you hear his voice, meaning rest is available today for you and I. We can have that rest. We're not stuck in this cycle. If all of that last 30 seconds confused you, look at verse nine. It makes it really clear. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's the bottom line. There's a rest for me, for you to enter into. And what is that Sabbath rest? Verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See, the author of Hebrews is not talking about simply a rest of like how many hours of sleep you get each night. He's talking about a rest which you can know for 100% certainty where you're going to go when you die. He's talking about a rest that comes from knowing that you'll stand before God and you'll hear him say not guilty even though you've sinned. He's talking about a rest that's a rest from trying to be good enough for God. It's a rest from knowing that Jesus Christ has finished the work on the cross, that there's nothing left for you and I to do, that our salvation is available to anybody who would repent and believe this gospel. The rest which God promises is a rest that he invites us into, that he himself enjoys. He wants to restore that seventh day that Adam forfeited, that the Israelites forfeited. He wants to extend that invitation to you and I, and he has in Jesus Christ. We enter that rest through faith in Christ. But here's the reality, is that many of us who have entered that rest, we believe in Jesus, we believe he died, we believe he rose from the dead, Oftentimes, many of us live our lives as if there's no rest available for us here and now. We're like the second generation of the Israelites who did enter, enter the promised land, but we're living as if we're the first generation that died off in the wilderness because of unbelief. Our busyness is the product of our unbelief. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, there is a better way. You can experience rest here and now. Look at verse one. Let's look at the very first verse. This is how. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now that seems pretty bizarre that he tells us that we should fear. But you know, fear can be a really good thing. It's a good thing to fear sticking your hand in a fire. It's a really good thing to fear jumping out of a plane without a parachute. Or probably jumping out of parachute or jumping out of a plane with a parachute too. <laughs> it's a good fear to fear missing eternal salvation just like the Israelites because of unbelief. That is a good healthy fear. It's a good fear knowing that you're going to heaven, you have a relationship with Jesus, but you're living this life as if the world depends on you to spin. It's a good fear for your coworkers looking at you and if they don't recognize that you're anything different, if you're living just as busy and worn out and anxious and depressed as them, it's a good fear to say, you know what, I need to change. 
He says, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And here's the point. You can have eternal rest. You can have a relationship with Jesus, but live your life here and now as if you failed to reach it. Fear living an unnecessarily busy life, a life where you can't rest because you don't believe God is in control. You're a creature of dust. I'm a creature of dust. God is Lord over all. Fear losing sight of that fact. And if you have, take this moment to repent. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So we looked at the first command to fear. We looked at the, now we're looking at the second at the very end, verse 11. He says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now this seems very paradoxical. He's saying strive to enter that rest. I thought resting was the opposite of striving. And in some sense, that's true. We rest because it's all by God's grace. It's all by Jesus' work on the cross. It's all by his resurrection and the fact that he overcame sin and death. Our sins have been paid for. And if we have faith in Christ, that part is secure. But we have to strive every day to remember that rest. We have to strive every day to keep that truth in the front of us. We have to strive to rest. And there's an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann. Good luck spelling that, looking that up. But he has this book called The Sabbath as Resistance. And what he sets out in this book is that we have to strive to resist. We have to strive to choose the God of rest, Yahweh, and resist acting as if we are God by never resting and never sleeping. We have to strive to rest in our acceptance as sons and daughters of God and resist the temptation to be busy so that we feel important and significant. We have to strive to serve and love God and resist devoting our lives to Pharaoh's endless cycle of production and consumption that exists in our culture today. So I want to give you four practical ways and these are inspired by a book called Zeal Without Burnout by Christopher Ash. Read that book. This book probably saved my life. Zeal Without Burnout. And I want you to notice how all four of these things require faith to do. First thing he says, here's, these are four practical ways that you can rest, is to strive to sleep. Now, I heard a lot of five hours, four, six seven and a half, seven on a good day. But Psalm 127 verse two says this, it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. You know, sleep is a promise of God for those who love him. Not sleeping because we have too much to do is failing to believe that God is sovereign and works while we sleep. Some practical ideas. End the day, and I'm, listen, y'all, I'm not an expert at this. I am trying to figure this out right with you. What I've been trying to do is end my day by unplugging my cell phone, disconnecting from social media, and spending one or two hours before I go to bed praying, not one or two hours praying, one or two hours disconnected from those things. (laughs) 
praying for those that I've encountered throughout my day. Reading, reflecting on maybe a verse that I read in the morning, and then going to sleep and knowing that God is at work while I sleep, that the world is still spinning, that God has got this. Secondly, to strive to take a Sabbath. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to embarrass me. But if I took a poll in this room, I would guess probably about 5 or 10% people really take a day of rest. And it explains why we're burnt out. Because God set this rhythm in creation, even before the Ten Commandments, of six days of work, one day of rest. It's a creation pattern. Take one day to go to church, to worship God, to spend time with friends and family, and to completely stop working. That word Sabbath, it means to stop, to cease, to resist. Believe that God will help you be more productive in six healthy days than running around like a crazy person for seven days. It takes faith to do that. Thirdly, strive to build healthy friendships. God doesn't need friends. He didn't create you and I because he needed a friend. He has the complete friendship, fullness of friendship in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Between the three of them, there's perfect fellowship. But for you and I, we need friends. That's why God created, said to Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. It was more than just a romantic thing. It was, just a, it was also a friendship thing. He knows that he designed us to be in relationship, to be in community. The absence of a close friendship is a warning bell. It's a red flag because it means we don't have anybody close enough to us to observe that when we need to take rest. We don't have anybody who can tell us, hey, you need to slow down because I've found that my friends are a lot better at judging how I'm doing a lot of times than I am. Fourthly and lastly, strive to be renewed each day by the word. We need the inward renewal of the Holy Spirit every day. We need him. Our bodies are wasting away, but our soul, our spirit, should be, get, should be getting stronger every day. If you're, le- reading, if you're living your life without reading the Bible every day, you're living with an empty tank of gas. It's not a condemnation thing like you need to read your Bible, you have to read your Bible, you're not a Christian if you don't read the Bible. I've just found I'm so weak that I need an infusion of the Holy Spirit every day. I can't go a day without God and his presence because if I do, I end up being irritable. My wife wants to slap me in the face. I want to slap my kids in the face. I mean, it's just, it's a bad thing. And so if it gets to about 11 o'clock and I haven't had time with God, everybody knows it. I know it, my wife knows it, my kids know it. But why? Because we're dependent on that renewal. When we don't have it, we're saying to ourselves that we're superhuman, that we don't need God. And all four of these things, without them, what we're saying to God is, God, I know that you established this order of creation of six days of work and one day of rest, but you know what? I'm above that. I got this thing figured out. I know you say I need to rest, but I'm good. I know you say I need friendship and people to do life with, but no, nah, I'm good. I got this on my own. I know that, you know, you promised your beloved sleep, but, you know, I think I can handle this on my own. And then three months later, we end up crashed, broken, desperate. God, where are you? Where have you been? I've been right here sleeping on my pillow, resting. Where have you been? Download version. download an app called Read Scripture. Get in this Bible every day. It's five minutes. If it's 10 minutes, 
If it's 20 minutes, if it's an hour, whatever it is for you, whatever you need to be filled and renewed every day, do that. Let's pray.